Matthew chapter number 28, and I'd like to read three verses here right at the end of the chapter, at the end of the book. And I really trust and have been praying that God would use this particular message to speak to your heart today, that God would help us as a church to understand really what our purpose is. I don't plan on um, being long. I know that's frivolous words of any preacher. In fact, Brother Larry referenced Henry VIII, and Henry VIII, if you didn't know, I think was married six or seven times, so I might use the words that he spoke to each of his wives, I don't plan on keeping you long. <laughs> I, that's my intention. We're going to see where it goes here today. But look at Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, that's his disciples there, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I want to talk this morning about this particular subject, the purpose of the church. And let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we again are thankful for the time that we've had. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts already through the music. Pray that now our hearts would be still before you and that you'd mightily work in our lives. May we concentrate not on the things that may go on this week, but may we concentrate on the Word of God. Listen to the Spirit of God as He takes the Word of God and causes it to penetrate our hearts. Lord, I thank You for this passage of Scripture. Thank You for what You're going to teach us here today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of the last number of weeks, you and I together as a church family have been exploring the importance of the church and understanding that the church really is to be first and foremost in our lives. The church is, if I can review just briefly and make some simple statements about the church, the church is not a building, it's a body of believers. It's not a business, it's the bride of Christ. It's not a corporation, it's the congregation of those who are following the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a financial institution. It's actually a family of believers. It's the flock of God. The church is not led by a CEO. It's led by under shepherds that are following the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not built by corporate executives, but it's built by Jesus Christ alone. A high proportion of people, sadly, in our world today, go to church and forget what the church is all about. Week by week, they attend uh, services in a particular dedicated building and go through particular time-honored routines, but give little thought as to what the church is all about. 
Oh, the Bible talks about how the church is the bride of Christ, but we almost treat it like it's a has-been Cinderella instead of the bride of Christ. In today's message, I want to reaffirm with you the non-negotiable essential element that God has designed us to be. In other words, I want to share with you what our purpose is. Why is Calvary Baptist here? The problem most churches face is not that they don't do anything. A lot of churches do a lot of things. The problem is sometimes they're not getting and doing the right things. I think this will help illustrate it for you. I read this cute little story about a pilot announcing to his passengers over the intercom system. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we have a tailwind and are making excellent time. The bad news is our compass is broken and we have no idea where we're going. That seems to be like a lot of churches. They're making, they got the tailwind, they got a lot of things that they're doing, but they don't know where they're going. The great evangelist from the early 1900s, Billy Sunday, turned baseball preacher into evangelist, said this, there wouldn't be so many non-churchgoers if there were not so many non-going churches. Churches need to figure out why they exist. And I want to share with you today, really, to me, what has impacted this message and what has impacted the ministry that I'm trying to lead in regards to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the text that we read here today. There are two mission trips that I took back in the early 2000s that I'll never forget. They made an indelible impression upon my heart, my mind, and my soul. The first trip I want to share with you was in 2003, And I went to visit a missionary that our church supported by the name of Marty Howell. He has since passed away, but I'm telling you, God used that man in a tremendous way. I remember that trip that I was there for about a week and I spent with Marty. I remember hearing him probably at least a hundred times saying that their church that they have planted there is to be a self-supporting, self-governing, and self-propagating church. In other words... Marty felt that he was called to Honduras to plant a church that eventually would be independent from any other support, would be able to support itself, and then would begin to plant other churches and send other missionaries out. Now, as I watched Marty and his dear wife Cheryl at the time doing the ministry, they were primarily working with those who felt called in the ministry. Now, it doesn't mean that they weren't spending time with uh, average people who got saved. They were doing everything they could to disciple people, but they were working with those who felt called to the ministry, and they would take from six to eight years to train these young men and their wives, who would be a good pastor's wife, to begin leading a church. In fact, it was in 1985 when Marty had first gotten down to Honduras. He was in uh, a a little city called Cortez, right out of now the second largest city in Honduras, San Pedro Sula. And he was there that he planted the Bethel Independent Baptist Church. 
And out of that church, there were a handful of men that he began to train for the ministry. And by 1992, these few men went out into other portions of Honduras and started churches themselves. And over the course of the next 10, 11 years, by the time I got there in 2003, each one of those men had planted a church that now was self-governing and self-propagating. That is the ministry, and it was exciting to watch. I remember still this couple by the name of Isaiah and his dear wife, and Marty sitting down and answering questions and opening the Bible and sharing with them things they needed to know about the ministry and about the Christian life. It was a beautiful, beautiful time that helped me in regards to what Calvary Baptist ought to be doing. But the second trip I want to share with you took place actually in a year earlier, And it was a mission trip that I took to, out of all places, Cancun, Mexico. I know you say, preacher, you didn't go on a mission trip to Cancun. You went to the beach. No. Out of the whole week that I was there, I took one one hour and I spent in the area that they call the hotel zone. And I actually got to see the various hotels. I walked the beach a little bit. But outside of that, I was there ministering with the people with Marco Nunez and his church. I tell you, I love Marco. I've not talked to him in a long while. But Marco Nunez, God used in a tremendous way right there in Cancun, Mexico. When Marco Nunez first first arrived in Cancun, Mexico, the population of Cancun was 350,000. In four years' time, by the time I had gotten there, the population of Cancun had doubled in size to almost 700,000 people. Now, what had happened is throughout Mexico, much of the work was drying up. People didn't have work in the various cities and towns and villages that they lived in. So people started traveling to the tourist cities, places like Cozumel and Cancun. And it was there with this massive explosion of population that Marco found the mission field coming right to his doorstep. And as it would be on every day, he'd walk down the various streets right near his home and he would pass out tracks and he'd meet contractors and builders and he'd meet all sorts of people that are coming in doing work right there in Cancun. And when I arrived in 2002, there were four men that he was training for the ministry. And he asked me to come down. He said, now, he said, Brother John, he said, I want you to preach on whatever you'd like to preach on on the Sundays. But during the week, I'd like you to preach or teach on some particular Bible subject that will help these men. I actually, in conferring with Marco, I actually chose the life of Christ And so from Monday through Friday, every day for seven hours, I sat at a table and I taught these men. Now, one of the most beautiful things I learned there, and I wouldn't say I've used it a whole lot, but I really like it. If I ever become a missionary, I'm going down to Mexico to practice this. I learned what a siesta was all about. (laughs) It was good. Our teaching went on from 8 o'clock to 12 o'clock. 
I'll never forget, we got down at 12 o'clock, went upstairs to Marty's household, and the church was in the bottom floor. We went upstairs, and I could smell his wife was cooking our meal for the day. And I said, oh, man, I said, are we ready to eat? He said, well, my wife's not quite ready yet. He said, she'll be ready in about an hour or so. And I said, well, what, do you, what would you like me to do? He said, have you ever heard of siesta? I said, yeah, I've heard of that. He said, well, just take a little nap in your bedroom. And I thought, man, this is great. I loved it. By Tuesday, I was good to go. I was ready to call the preacher I was working for and say, I'm quitting. I'm staying down here and doing a siesta every day. But it was great. It was wonderful. We ate a meal. And then at 2 o'clock, we resumed back downstairs. And from 2 to 5, I taught. Now, how powerful this was. I would sit at the table. Marco was next to me. The four guys were there. And they would take a tape recorder. How many remember cassette tapes? I know there's some of you that remember things beyond me, okay? But in the center of the table would be a cassette recorder, and he would record the lessons that I taught. And then Marco would take that cassette, and he would duplicate it and give a copy to each of the men. And what was powerful is a few years later, I was able to hear back through reports that those few men were now sent out of Marco's church to various places where they had come from in Mexico, and those men planted a church in their hometown. Now, I want to tell you something here today. Those mission trips and others like them, but those two stand out in my mind, certainly made a mark in my life. Because what those churches did and what those pastors did is they brought church work down to its very basic core. You know, we get caught up so often in our activities. Now, I'm not against activities. I'm not against fellowships. And I'm not against all the things that we do. But we get so caught up in so many different activities and so many different events that we're involved in that many churches fail to realize what the church is here for. You go through the state of Florida. You go through the United States. You travel around the world. And I'll bet your bottom dollar that many churches exist but they don't know why they exist. Many churches are having meetings, but don't know why they're having meetings. And God forbid that Calvary Baptist Church, our church here, be a church that forgets why we're here. Now, I want to tell you something. The one difference between these mission trips that I told you about and what we're doing is they were primarily concentrating on working with preachers. Today, I'm considering all people to be discipled in the things of God. But this morning, as you hear this message, you might say to yourself, well, preacher, how, how do we do that? How do we go ahead about the process and fulfill the purpose? It seems like church work is difficult, and there's, a, there's a, such a, a, an amazement of what we can do. I want to tell you something today that Matthew 28, 19, and 20 makes it so simple. It is so simple, yet it's profound. So let's do this. Let's unpack these couple of verses here, and let me give you three simple parts of what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. First of all, purpose number one is this, the purpose of making disciples. 
the purpose of making disciples. I want you to notice here in verse number 19, go ye, now that's a command that the Lord gave, go ye therefore and, here it is, teach all nations. Now, when we use the word teach, we use the word teach in regard to imparting knowledge or information. But the word teach here is actually from a Greek word which means to make a disciple. It carries with it the idea of enrolling somebody to become a pupil, bringing somebody along that can help learn something. And what is this all about, this teaching here? You and I teaching all nations, all people, what is it that we're to do? Well, you and I as believers are to go and share the gospel and win people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. According to one survey many years ago when asked, why does the church exist Here's what 89% of the churchgoers said. The church's purpose is to take care of my family and my needs. Now, I'll be honest with you, as I have been around people, I have found much of that to be the case. People come in and say, uh, do you have this for my children? And do you have this for my teens? And do you have this particular ministry? And do you do these trips? And do you do those things? And nothing wrong with any of those things. But I dare say, according to that statistic, and according to many people that are going to church, many people don't realize what the purpose of the church is. It's not revolved around them. It's revolved around what are we doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say to you today that this portion of Scripture and this purpose of making disciples is simple and it's something that we're doing to invite people to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the pattern in the New Testament. First of all, in the life of Jesus Christ. Secondly, in the book of Acts. Let me read a portion of Scripture to you. John chapter 17, verse 8. Listen to this. Jesus said this in his high priestly prayer. He said, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. You know what Jesus is saying as he's praying to the Father? He's saying, all right, Lord, I have done what you've called me to do and I have given your word, the message of the gospel out to those and there have been many who have received it and believed and I fulfilled what you've asked me to do. You know why Jesus came? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to minister the gospel. Jesus came to share of who he was. That's the idea of teaching all nations and making disciples. How about the book of Acts? Listen to this in Acts 14, 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many. Can I say today that the New Testament is clear about our purpose in getting the gospel out? If you just walk through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you'll see that the pressure of the people of God is to get the gospel out. Again, Jesus said, he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. This passage in Matthew 28 is known as the Great Commission, where to go and teach all nations. But listen to this. 
these gospel presentations in the book of Acts. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and do you realize 3,000 people placed their faith in Jesus Christ? John and Peter in Acts chapter 4 and 5 are sharing about Jesus, and they're even jailed for sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ. But guess what? 5,000 men come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Philip in Acts chapter 8 is preaching an evangelistic campaign in the, in the city of Samaria, and then the Holy Spirit moves him to a man who is known as an Ethiopian eunuch, and he shares the gospel, and that man prays to receive Christ as Savior. Acts chapter 9, Paul hears Jesus speaking the gospel to him, and he believes Jesus for who he is. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his household received Jesus Christ when Peter went to his house. Acts chapter 13, the Bible tells us how that many in Antioch of Pisidia believed. In Acts chapter 14, in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas preached, and a great multitude of Jews and Greeks believed. Acts chapter 16, while Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi, they share the good news with the jailer, and what happens? That man gloriously gets saved. In Thessalonica of Acts chapter 17, Paul spent three weeks in the temple preaching Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and there were those there who heard it and believed. And then in Corinth in Acts chapter 18, it's amazing how God used Paul to lead the chief ruler of the synagogue and many Corinthians to a saving knowledge of Christ. What am I driving at today? You and I have a job of preaching the gospel. Now you say, Pastor, you use this sense of making disciples like it's on us, like I save people. I want to tell you something. You and I don't save anybody. We don't change a person's heart. We can't cause a person to make that decision. Our job is simple. We are the vessel, the conduit to share the message, and then God begins to work on the heart. How wonderful it's been over the last several months where the gospel has been shared at the homes of people being helped by Samaritan's Purse. And where these people are being helped, and then the gospel is shared with them, and they pray to receive Christ as Savior. What a glorious thing that is. What a wonderful day it was here just a couple months ago. Less than that, February 4th was our open house Sunday, and we had six people who walked forward and said, I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ. How wonderful that is. But our goal our purpose of existence here is to get the gospel out and share it. And I want to tell you, when you share the gospel, there's power in the gospel. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. You share it, it'll work in hearts. So here we have a job and purpose of getting the gospel out and leading people to a place where they become a believer in Jesus Christ. Purpose number two, let me give you this, the purpose of leading disciples to obedience. The purpose of leading disciples to obedience. So here we have people who now become a disciple, they become saved, and now what's the first thing that happens? Well, look here at verse number 19. The command is go. You and I are to go, number one, to teach all nations. 
Number two, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. The second part of the Great Commission is leading people who are made disciples to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Now, please keep this in mind. A disciple is a follower. He's a learner. As he or she steps into the classroom of the life that they have in Christ, they realize that they're to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And where all of it starts is with baptism. Baptism, if you will, is the ground zero for a disciple in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hold your place here in the book of Matthew, and I want you to turn over to the book of Acts, and I want you to notice the pattern in the Scripture. I'm going to give you a number of verses here. We're just going to walk through parts of the book of Acts. Hold your place right there in Matthew, and go to the book of Acts, chapter number Two. Verse 37 and 38. Acts 2, 37 and 38. Acts 2, 38 kind of reminds me about a dear lady that came home from church one night. It was a Sunday night. And she found out there was a burglar in her home. The only thing she knew to say was, Acts 2.38, because that's what the preacher preached on that night. Well, would you know it, that burglar dropped all the goodies that he had grabbed in her home and just froze, and that dear lady got on the phone, called 911, and the police came. Police took that man, handcuffed him, and they're leading him out, and they're kind of snickering between each other to the two police officers, and they looked at the man, and they said, what were you so afraid of? All this woman said was a scripture, Acts 2.38, and he said, no, no. She said she had an axe and two thirty-eights. <laughs> well, hopefully that's not what you remember about Acts two thirty-eight. Okay, for some reason it's what, what I think of. But anyways, Acts two thirty-seven. Look, notice this. Peter finishes his sermon in Acts two, and it says, "When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart." And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, notice this, Repent and be baptized. You know what they were to do? They were to place their faith in Jesus Christ, become a disciple, and then Peter says, The first step you ought to do after becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is be baptized. Go, if you will, now to Acts chapter 8 and verse number 12. I'm sorry I don't have a joke for Acts 8.12, but uh, we'll look at this scripture here. Acts chapter 8, verse number 12. Here's Philip preaching in Samaria. It says, When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, notice this, they were baptized. Look, if you will, Acts chapter 9, the next chapter speaking about the apostle Paul, who was at this time known as Saul, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose, and would you say the next words with me? And was baptized. Go to Acts chapter number 10, verse number 47. After Cornelius gets saved, 
Peter asks the question, what would keep people from getting baptized? After Cornelius and his household come to faith in Christ, Peter says, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized here today? Go to Acts chapter number 16, if you will. The last passage I'll show you, Acts chapter 16 and verse number 33. And he took them the same hour of the night. This is the jailer. He's taken Paul and Silas and others and washed their stripes. Now notice the next three words, and was baptized. Now why is this so important? You can go ahead and turn back to Matthew chapter 28. I want to ask you a question. Why is this so important? Why do we see in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, that we're to lead people to a saving knowledge of Christ and then we're to encourage them as a first step that they follow the Lord and believers' baptism? Because I want to say to you that any person that has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior is willing to follow the Lord in any way that God asks him. And baptism, standing in the water there, is a way of being able to say our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it not amazing, Matthew 28, that they are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost? The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're not just baptizing people in just any old name. We're baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. But we're also doing something. We're baptizing them by immersion. And I showed this last week. When a person stands in the water, brought back in the water, and brought out, they are showing and picturing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now you say, preacher, why is that so important? Well, let me ask you this question. Do you remember what your life was like before you got saved? I do. I remember how much of a rascal I was. You say, preacher, you're still a rascal. I I get it, I know, but I was a real bad rascal before I got saved. And God changed my life. I was in sin, and I was doing everything that I wanted to do. And then God met me that one day, and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. God changed me. And God did something on that day that I got saved. God took my sins and he put them away. That's the idea of being brought back into the water. That God took our sins and he buried them, the Bible says in Psalms, as far as the east is from the west. But how beautiful it is that being brought up out of the water, showing the resurrection of Jesus, a new life. You know what God's done for me? He's given me a new life. He's given you a new life if you're saved today. Are you saved today? Do you know Jesus is your Savior? Has there been a time when you've placed your faith in Him? I'm going to tell you something. If you know Christ is your Savior, there ought to be a difference in your life, but you ought to follow the Lord in believer's baptism because it's a step of obedience. It's a way of showing your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Third purpose, Matthew 28, and I'm done. And that is the purpose of teaching disciples. The purpose of teaching disciples. Now really comes the part that many churches leave off or fail to do. You see, the Great Commission is not all about making converts. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 does not say, Go ye therefore and make converts. 
No, no. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, or make disciples, if you will, and then see them follow the Lord and believers' baptism, and then teach them. Now, this teaching is the idea of imparting knowledge. This teaching is the aspect of causing people to learn. What did Jesus do with his disciples? Remember that day Jesus called his disciples, came to each one of them, drop what you're doing, come follow me. Those men put aside what they were doing, and they followed the Lord. And it's during those three years of the earthly ministry and life of our Lord that those disciples learned everything that Jesus wanted them to know. Everything about the Bible, Jesus would teach them. Everything Jesus wanted them to know about his Father in heaven, he would teach them. You read John 14, 15, and 16, some of the greatest portions of Scripture that teach us about the Holy Spirit. You know what that is? That's Jesus teaching his disciples about the third person of the Trinity. Jesus taught them about the end times, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, when he gave that beautiful discourse there on the Mount of Olives. Jesus taught them about eschatology. So what am I sharing with you? Jesus took the time to teach his disciples what they needed to know. And then when the disciples began to move in their ministry, you know what they did? They began to teach others. And the book of Acts is fulfilling this beautiful cycle where the gospel is preached and here at Calvary Baptist Church, we desire above all else to get the gospel out to those that are saved. And when people respond to the gospel, then we want to encourage those disciples to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. And those that have been saved and those that have been baptized now are encouraged to get involved in what we call a discipleship program where folks one-on-one -on -one can help impart and the other learn the Word of God. Again, you go through the book of Acts, you know what you see? Discipleship. You see individuals teaching others. Ananias, for a period of time, was given to Saul to teach him the Word of God. Apollos was given a dear godly couple in the city of Corinth to help teach him and expound certain things of the Word of God. And Barnabas was used to help the Apostle Paul in different ways. Paul was able to minister to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. What am I saying here today? The book of Acts is all about life upon life, life impacting life, life teaching others what needs to be known from the Word of God. And you can be involved in that today. You can be involved in the area of discipleship. Over the course of the next number of weeks here, and the reason I'm preaching this here today is because we're going to be changing things up with regards to our Wednesday nights, where we're going to be making a strong emphasis on discipleship. Now, we'll still have classes that will be available where people can come in and hear the Word of God, but the goal and the prayer that I have had is that on Wednesday nights, we transform 
our fellowship hall into a place where all through the hall there is one person discipling another and at another table one person discipling another and and at another table here's one person sharing the word of God with another what is it it is mature believers helping immature believers come to a place where they can learn the word of God I read many years ago in a book about discipleship, this man said, discipleship is the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been won to Christ. The purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity and equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. You know what discipleship is a lot like? Parenting. How many of you have raised children and you're willing to admit it? (laughs) Oh my. Isn't parenting interesting? You know, there's one thing I learned about parenting that there's different stages here that kids go through. There's a stage when they first come home that they can't do anything by themselves. In 1996, in fact, in May, May 21st, right after that, a day later or so, when we came home, we did not set Johnny in that little seat he was in and place him on the floor in the living room and start telling him where everything was. Now, Johnny, when you get thirsty, the refrigerator's right over there, and your bedroom is right over that one, and you, when you get tired, you go, go sleep. Now, you know what had to happen? Now, I say we, but you mothers know it was you. We had to do everything for him. For him to be fed, it took his mother doing that. For him to be clean, it took his mother doing that. (laughs) I'll be honest with you, when I changed diapers... I wanted to buy stock in those wipies, you know what I mean? Because I used a lot of them. But everything that was done, we did it. But then there came a point when that child began to talk. Johnny began to start talking and sharing things. And it was in those moments now that we began to teach him about life. We began to teach him the first word we taught him was how to obey your mom and dad. And we taught him various things. And all those stages going through, you know what we did with Johnny and Jimmy and Julianne is we discipled them, if you will. We taught them. We brought them to a place that we so desired them to be. And it's amazing that in the Christian life, really, it's likened to our life here. When you disciple somebody, you know what you're doing? You're helping them grow spiritually. Now, I'll be honest with you, new believers sometimes get a little messy. New believers sometimes don't know all the church lingo. They don't understand all of the terms. They don't know what is expected, but they can learn from a mature believer, and they can be taught. And I want to encourage you out here today to find, first of all, 
your purpose and to encourage Calvary Baptist to fulfill its purpose of making disciples, seeing disciples follow the Lord in believers' baptism, and then seeing those disciples learn the Word of God. You know, I enjoy sports, and I've enjoyed college basketball. There's been a lot of upsets in this March Madness. Everybody's bracket here is broken. I get it. But you know, as I watch basketball, basketball would be a boring game if all we saw were players dribbling the ball and passing to each other. What's the goal of a basketball team? It is to outscore the opponent. It's to get the basketball in the hoop and score points and hopefully outscore your rival. You know, many churches are involved in simply passing, dribbling. Oh, they're putting on a good show. There's a lot of activity that's going on. But the main point of the function is not being carried out. I'd turn a basketball game off if I didn't see any scoring going on. It'd be boring. And be honest with you why many people don't get involved much in church and don't see the purpose of churches because the churches have failed to realize what their purpose is. And I'm saying today as your pastor that we're going to work hard in these next few months, to increase what we're doing to make sure that Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is being fulfilled here. Every Sunday, we share the gospel. But that means that you, during the course of the week, need to be out sharing the good news. I guarantee every person here has at least one acquaintance that they know that is without Jesus Christ, who needs the Lord. That means it's your job to make a disciple of that person. It's your job to share the good news. And Lord willing, that acquaintance of yours comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And boy, you'll come to church the next Sunday and say, Preacher, preacher, you're not going to believe this. I shared the gospel. I gave a tract to my friend. And they prayed to receive Christ as Savior and will rejoice over what took place. But guess what I'll say to you next? All right, next step. Let's invite this person to get baptized. Oh, preacher, you know, they're, they're confused about baptism. They, 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 let, let, let's not push them. Let me tell you something. What did Jesus give here? The very purpose. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. And so, therefore, it is upon you and I to take that one who has received Christ as Savior and open up the Scriptures and share with them why baptism is important. Baptism doesn't save anybody. Baptism won't get you to heaven. But baptism is a public expression of what has already taken place in the heart. And how beautiful over the course of the last few weeks we've had different people children and adults who have been baptized. And there's others that are getting ready to be scheduled to be baptized and how exciting that is. But now how prudent it would be and how beneficial it would be to then take that new convert, that disciple, 
be able to open up the Bible with them on a Wednesday evening at church and be able to share the truths of the Word of God. You say, well, I, I, I don't know where to even begin. I don't know how to teach them. Don't worry, we have all the curriculum. We have everything that is needed to help out with that. But what we're looking for throughout this congregation is people that are willing to go. In closing, could I call your attention to verse number 18? Would you look at this? Notice what Jesus said. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now look right up here. You say, preacher, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not called like you are. I don't know the Bible like you do. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to do it. I want to tell you something. God didn't just give this to preachers. God gave it to every born-again believer. And he's asking you to get involved in the process.